0: Marty Frederick and I have agreed to join each other in creating exactly that kind of space where questions and critical thinking are welcome. We want to look honestly at the issues and questions plaguing the Christian church today and to genuinely seek out what it means to live like Jesus in our ever-changing world, in our expanding universe, and in our pluralistic society. We believe that doubt is not the enemy of faith, but perhaps one of its greatest allies. We think that the Christian life is more about asking the right questions than it is about finding the answers. And we believe we are being called to continually ask those questions, renewing our minds and rethinking our faith in the process. Thank you for joining us on that journey. All right. Well, welcome to another episode of the Rethinking Faith podcast. As always, I'm Josh Patterson, and with me today is my good friend, Marty Frederick. Marty, what's going on, bro? Man, not much.
1: Just it's... uh, Dude, it's summer now, man. It's like the weather is like finally there. I remember it feels like... A week ago when it was like 40 degrees <clears throat> and rainy and gross all the time maybe not where our guest was but it might, might not have ever got down that low but like i know for me up in the chicago area they're like it was like end of april beginning of may and it's like 40 degrees and rainy and like you look at the forecast it was like chance of snow showers and You're like what the heck is going on here and then all of a sudden it was Snow it's like it's like 60 and then 70, and then now it's like 85 degrees every day. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> summer, summer, man. I'm hyped for it. It's been nice, man. But the problem is for me, it's been raining so much that my grass keeps getting really long. Like the day after I cut it, it's like 12 <laughs> inches again. And so, yeah. I'm gonna have to do that later, cut the grass. Um, but also, Marty, I don't know if this is if I'm allowed to say this on here, you but you have some exciting news. That yeah, you want to share with everybody real quick before we jump in uh, with our guests. I do. I am um,
1: so um, I just um, accepted a position at a church in Vermont, um, and I will be uh, heading out that way sometime in the next month or so. Um, it's it's an amazing opportunity. I'm really excited about it. So yeah, that's that's my news. I'm I'm being I'm being partially coy um uh, like on the on the news just so that people there don't get blown up with anything or you know like what's going on tell us about this you know you know don't try to find them leave them alone (laughs) but if you if you're interested and you care about me enough and like we know each other i'm happy to share some deets
0: so heck yeah good deal man well that's exciting congratulations once again i know it's been a long journey so
1: Well, and I have to ask you a question that has nothing to do with jobs before we get to our guests, because I really want to get to our guests. But it's something (laughs) that I'm a little salty about because I was really excited about them. This is going to be super weird. Um, Josh, you've posted pictures on your social media of cicadas,
0: and I don't have any. Like there aren't any. You don't you don't want to have any, (laughs) (laughs) but they are annoying and they're the dumbest bugs (laughs) ever. They literally like fly into walls and then die. Like, it's just. Not I just good. feel like it would have been really cool to have. I don't know. So I, I just. I you've been posting pictures. Well, come to Maryland. All right. Okay, come hang All out, right. bro. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, you can you can see them as much as you want. You can come hang out in my backyard, which is crazy because we have them here in Baltimore in the city, and like some of my friends like back like where my parents live don't really have them and they're like in more like a more rural environment Hmm. with farms and stuff but then somehow we have an insane amount of cicadas here in Baltimore
1: (laughs) all right well (laughs) I'm sorry to like sorry to like send us down a path about bugs what we're talking about today is like immensely cooler than than bugs
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's true well let's let's jump to that before we run off. so Yeah, friends, with us today, we would like to welcome back to the show Terrence Lester. Terrence, how are you today, man?
2: Josh and Marty, man, I am doing amazing. It's been uh, really interesting here in the city of Atlanta in terms of weather. I heard you all talking about weather. And if uh, uh, Atlanta's weather is as schizophrenic as any other parts of the country, uh, some days you don't know whether it's summer or spring or fall or winter. Um, <laughs> here recently, we just had a lot of rain. Um, a few weeks ago, it was cool and cold. And now we're starting to see summer uh, peek its head out. So I'm here in Atlanta, man, and it's, it's been going well. Yeah.
0: Right on, man. That's what's up. It's And so for listeners who have been hanging out with this for a while, you might remember Terrence, Uh, We had him on a long time ago, which is crazy. It doesn't seem like it's been that long, but all the way back on episode number 47. We talked about your book, I See You, and that was in October of 2019.
2: Yeah. So that's, (laughs) man, 2020 has been a blur. And to make it worse, we're in the middle of 2021. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So 2020
1: is the first year that. Go
2: ahead. I don't know. We are missing almost.
1: I think we got you back now.
2: Okay. Uh, Let me, uh, I may need to switch. Let me just switch uh, Wi-Fi really quick so we don't have this again. Cool.
0: Okay. No worries.
2: Okay, is that better?
1: So far, seems good.
2: Okay, yeah. So, like I was saying... um, yeah, so 2020 has it was just one of those years that really went missing uh for a lot of people, Marty. And uh yeah, I've never missed the entire year, but not really because I was in it.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah.
2: But yeah, here we are in 2021.
1: It's like one of the it's gonna be like the first year ever that people are gonna be talking about for a really long time and people are gonna be like, Oh yeah, like I guess, I guess that happened, but like not really remember anything except for like one aspect of their life because i mean even in the summer last year people tried getting back to you know doing things outside and you know going and going to the beach and stuff like that but you get i know in chicago if you went to the beach like you get in a lot of trouble like people wouldn't like were not cool with it um so like it was like kind of open but not really so like it was just a bizarre thing but um terrence so we had you on before we asked you uh your who your favorite hockey team was back then um so, our for our second time guests, we like to ask people who is who is the who is your favorite mu- live musical act that you've like? What what's the best concert you've ever been to?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'm still uh, kind of lost on hockey teams, but <laughs> I do have a favorite a favorite performer, and that is Brian McKnight. I took my wife to a concert uh two summers ago when the world was a little normal Mm -hmm. and man the way that he serenades and uh performs and sings I mean it's just like listening to a cd and plus I got a chance to to spend that time with my bride so it was yeah I don't know it was it was just extra nice that day
1: that's awesome well that's it's always good when you have the best company with you at a concert I saw um, in South Florida, I saw Jack Johnson with my wife and <clears throat> some people like his music some people don't but it didn't really matter because I was there with her so that that made it like a billion times better you know that's how it always goes so um well another question we kind of have for you Terrence we've been asking people I think before you came or after you came out we've been asking this question um <clears throat> in Our our podcast is called Rethinking Faith. Um, I think it was Theology Doesn't Suck back when we had you on. Um, And uh, so we've been asking people, what's the most important aspect of your faith that you've had to rethink?
2: Wow. What's the most important aspect of my faith? Man, you know, if I'm honest, I went through a disillusionment in my faith in my early 20s. And uh, it was a time when I was in Bible college and what was being preached or displayed in the context where I was attending church wasn't um, necessarily aligned with the historical uh, Jesus that I was studying. And so I went through this whole process of uh, deconstructing a lot of the uh, traditional things that the church was doing and uh, just found myself grounded and being more closer to uh, the person and work of Jesus, uh, specifically in this earthly ministry. And um, yeah, over the last 10 years, man, I've just been even more inclusive of how I engage with those who are excluded and are living on the margins of society. Uh, here recently I've been asked a lot in, in podcasts and interviews, how does my faith connect to social justice? And I like to think of Jesus as the primary source and motivation from, for all of my justice work, because Jesus himself experienced injustice. I mean, even something as simple as he would, he, he experienced displacement when Herod sent out a decree. And the angel of the Lord had to literally warn his family. He had to uproot where he was living and move to another part of the region, um, which that is a form of displacement. There was a a, a a strong figure who was in charge, in many ways, a political figure that leveraged his power to execute or to uh, send death after the life of Jesus, right? You know, and it, it makes me think about the number of people right now all around the country who have been in many ways, robbed and killed of their potential because of the false uh, or, or misuse of power from political leaders. I mean, Jesus's life within itself relates more to those who are living on the margins than those who are occupying positions of power. And so I'm always looking at the historical Jesus as primary example and motivation for why I do the work that I do and why I talk about uh, the issues that I talk about.
0: Yeah, right on, man. Thank you. And please ignore the dogs barking if you can hear them. Someone was just knocking at my door. (laughs) So listeners, I apologize. You all know I have dogs. Um, But Terrence, it's been like I, I had mentioned, it's been a minute since you've been on uh, back in October of 2019, and a whole lot has happened since then. Uh, like Love Beyond Walls blew up and it's been really fun to to watch you and watch Love Beyond Walls and uh, you know Marty and I have been been watching and, and cheering you on the whole time. And so can you just like fill us in like what is what has changed in the world of Terrence Lester?
2: Yeah, so a lot of a lot has changed personally. Um back in 2020, I was accepted into a PhD program where um I started this journey of becoming a, a PhD student and a leader of an organization. And so a lot of my research is centered around public policy and um uh injustice. And uh while leading. I had no clue uh, that I would be uh, thrust into a pandemic. I, I think nobody had an idea of where we would be uh, March of 2020. And so while starting this, uh, this new educational journey uh, was also being met with a real hard decision as a nonprofit leader. Um, one reason is because Uh, The world was in utter shock and utter fear of being shut down. A lot of people had no clue of what this new virus meant uh, for the world. I remember hearing early on that it was a virus that was spreading and the virus wasn't even labeled something that would be considered a pandemic, right? It was just a virus that we were hearing that was very deadly uh, to citizens. Uh, not just in this country, but citizens of other countries. And when they labeled it uh, that we were in a, a national uh, and global pandemic, um, a lot of businesses started to panic. A lot of resources started to dry up. And then we were being told that we would have to shelter in place. And as a ministry leader and nonprofit leader, um I understood that we had always been faced with disparities, and people had been uh, left out of the conversation, and uh, not really given access uh, to proper resources. And so, my fear had, uh, you know, started to to build even more. I started to ask questions like, "What are we going to do for those who may be uh, in this pandemic that don't have access?" I mean, this is something that I've been uh, talking about for years and I'll never forget sitting in uh, our center um, with all of the anxieties that many people were faced with uh, thinking about volunteers being uh, you know, quarantined, thinking about resources drying up and trying to figure out how can our organization pivot from a more centralized model to a decentralized model. And that's when Dimitri walked through the door. Uh, Dimitri was standing in our lobby and he was talking about how libraries were closing. Sometimes people experiencing homelessness use libraries for daytime shelters uh, to access information and other resources. And he literally was in tears. He says, I think I'm going to die uh, because I have nowhere to wash my hands. And it was in that moment, uh, two things happened. One, I started to to think about the historical Jesus and how Jesus uh, always found ways to lean in as servant, and he washed uh, his disciples' feet. Uh, but I also started to think about how could we pivot and still show up and be proximate to our community members' uh, considered frontline work. Um, during the pandemic and that's when i had this idea to uh, take a feature from rv units that we used to use to temporarily house people uh, to start serving people in the city uh, with portable hand washing stations and so we started out with five i had a friend uh, named lecrae who got involved Uh, uh, he donated an additional 15 And then it went from 15 to now, you know, smaller organizations are getting involved. And we had 50 around the city under bridges and alleyways, behind buildings, uh, just providing uh, public parks, providing uh, access to sanitation. And then uh, the story started to spread even more. And then all of these national companies got involved, like uh, Porsche and Southwest Airlines, Brownie Paper Towels, Coca-Cola. Uh, at V, which is a well-known for- pharmaceutical company, etc., and then it just spread even more. and And so now uh, we've placed uh, these sanitation sinks in sixty two cities around the country. Uh, we have well over a hundred partners, and um, yeah, man. I mean, on any given week, I mean, 30,000 people were washing their hands during the pandemic, just having access to the same things that people who have privileges had access to. And so right now we're still in that campaign. Um, We are in two additional countries. Uh, We're about to expand to Pittsburgh uh, this coming uh, September in in partnership with Pittsburgh University. Uh, We are also building uh, self-contained shower units for encampments. And yeah, man, we're still educating and advocating on behalf of uh those without an address. And so it's it's been really fun, but it's also been a challenge.
0: Man, Terrence, that is crazy. <laughs> it's been so cool to 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 just watch that happen and to watch it catch on. And congratulations on that, man. It's really cool um what you're doing and what you've been able to do. It's it's fantastic. So Uh, thank you for that.
2: Yeah, no problem. Thank you for asking, man. It's, um, you know, it's been really hard work, uh, but I am grateful to God that we have not only sustained, but we have been able to show up in a, in a very basic, but tangible way for community members who are oftentimes overlooked.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, man. Well, on top of all of that, you also somehow managed to write and publish another book, <laughs> which is impressive, man. And it's, uh, it's your new book is called "When We Stand: The Power of Seeking Justice Together." So, just just for starters, because you already had all this stuff going on, like, why did you decide to to on top of that write a book? What what pushed you in that direction, and and who is this book for?
2: yeah well firstly you know i see you my first book was all about you know helping people to realize the, the inherent dignity that everyone possesses address or not um you know all throughout the year i've often said this quote that is still appropriate that just because a person doesn't have an address does not mean they're not your neighbor um and that we must be about the whole community. Uh, and not just certain parts of the community. And so while advocating for the visibility of people experiencing homelessness, I also started to see how disconnected uh, we were as a a church, as society, as in in culture, Um, racial tension had started to increase, Um, more disparities had become, more visible. And yet there was still this, this need for not just unity, because unity has a lot of uh, negative connotations to it, but like togetherness. And I thought, hey, what better way to mobilize people all around the country and all around the world by you know just kind of revealing very basic but practical ways that people could not only show up and care for themselves, but also connect with other people in community. Because I believe uh, in the work that I've done, my framework has always been around justice happens in community. Uh, Justice happens when people take a stand together in solidarity with one another. And not only can we achieve this through that, but we get a chance to glorify God at the same time. And so I'm really writing for the persons who have been burned out by social media trauma, (laughs) right? They are traumatized from all of the information that they consume from the palm of their hands. I'm writing for uh, Christians, uh, maybe majority culture Christians who have yet to understand uh, their role in this work of justice. And I'm also writing uh, to those who are in this work but haven't really found the balance between doing justice work and caring for themselves. And so I've just uh, really been hopeful that the message in this book has pushed people closer uh, to being in community with us.
1: Yeah, that's, that's really great, Terrence. And um, as, I mean, that, that heart comes through, there's no doubt about it. I mean, it, it definitely, we do I mean I, even reading the book knowing you already but beyond that your heart comes through easily uh, like what you're trying to do so that's really good. Um, so you, you talk a lot about getting out of our bubbles and then the importance of proximity can you can you share why these things are so important?
2: Yeah um that's actually a chapter in the book I, I remember uh, receiving an email and I get a lot of emails from Uh, private schools, uh, private uh, institutions, sometimes predominantly white institutions uh, who are wanting to uh, think about good deeds, but oftentimes not realizing those good deeds are just charitable and they are only for the moment. And there's a real stark difference between charity and justice uh, charity is ensuring that a person has the meal, which many people need a meal for the moment, uh, but justice is looking at the framework and um, the structures that have pro- pro- uh, prohibited communities not to be a food desert, right? Um, and I think those, those are two different things and both are needed, um, and oftentimes, you know, I'm hit up by these institutions to come and get give talks. And sometimes it's talks to like, talk about what's going on in the world, but oftentimes there are invitations to help uh, these institutions realize what's around them. And I'm always, um, I'm both excited and heartbroken when I'm asked these things. And here's why. Because like, for instance, I write about this school, I'm driving into the neighborhood. It's obviously a very dense community, but within that community has been uh, gentrification where new homes have been established. They're all surrounding this private school. The private school is gated. Most of the houses in the community are gated people are living in this community, but not really connected to the community around it, right? And so uh, in many ways, that is a bubble. You walk on campus, kids are being dropped off in limos. Um, there are restaurants on the campus, like a kid doesn't go to a normal cafeteria. They can walk across campus to get lunch. I'm talking about K through 12. We're not talking about college, right? And It's this real um, close-knit community, but it's also close off to the rest of the community that surrounds it. And that's what I really am talking about within this chapter. I'm talking to, to, you know, faculty and kids and students about people who are right in their backyard. You know, it's when I talk about getting out of our bubble, I'm talking about emerging from this, Place of isolation where you realize that you're in community with other people that you've yet to connect with, um, which presents many opportunities. It, 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 pre, it presents opportunities to connect with uh, deeper within your community. Uh, it presents opportunities to build relationships and foster relationships uh, with community members that you've yet to come in contact with, but it also gives you an opportunity to be proximate and present within that community. And when I talk about proximity, I'm not talking about just being close, but having this awareness that you exist. There are people who are proximate to other people, but yet they're inattentionally blind to them. And yet they have no awareness that they are even in existence, right? And when I talk about presence, I'm talking about moving a step beyond proximity, not just this awareness, but doing as Jesus did uh, did in the scriptures, dwelling among people, uh, being present among people, you know, and not just for the event uh, uh, way or framework of serving, but this embodiment of service as practice and practice as a lifestyle. This service becomes a lifestyle, and that I understand that I'm connected to my neighbor, and I'm a part of this community. And I am standing with my neighbor in this community, which is so important. I think this message is so essential for right now as we, you know, try to re-enter or re-engage in society uh, post-pandemic. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, Terrence, I mean, not to like give a shameless plug for the merch on the Love Behind Walls website, because I know that's not what it's about, but um, but you have a shirt that says, uh, Gentrification Without Inclusion is Wrong. And um, as I kind of look at that and I think about um, a lot of the different things that have changed, just as far, I mean, they haven't, they've always been there. It's sort of like, I mean, I don't know if it was Will Smith that actually said it or someone else, but these things have been happening, but now, we have people taking videos of them, and so now they're just they're just more. We, we know that they're happening. I mean, we're talking. It's it's slightly different. So the social justice issues with the racial tensions, those kinds of things. But I just think about this idea of um, I asked, it might have been Jamar Tisby when he was on a few months ago. Um, you know, being a, being a white man uh, living in a white neighborhood with my white family. When I'm finished with this podcast, I get to, I get to escape that reality and go back to the, the, like the bubble, like, I, you know, I walk out of the bubble and have this conversation and get to learn more, but then I get to go back to the bubble if I want to. And so, um, just asking like, how do we stay out of the bubble? Like, like how do we get out of that? But then how do we remain out of that so that we can constantly be seeing those around us? And how would you personally recommend just as like a short, um, second, uh, follow-up question to that question, how would you recommend, you know, staying out of that bubble and being aware?
2: Yeah, well, firstly, to answer your, uh, well, uh, comment on the the T-shirt, we all know gentrification itself is wrong, right? Uh, Revitalization is always going to happen, but doing revitalization work with inclusion of those who are already in the context of community, that is wrong, right? If people who are already in existence within that community are not speaking into the redevelopment of a community, that is wrong. Now, when we think about um, your other statement about you know having the option to uh, you know immerse for a moment and, and and go back into your bubble, I try to help people think about um, breaking the habits and practices that they have you know kind of leaned on. Um, you know, if you are used to going to a coffee shop. Um, and it's a predominantly white coffee shop and is white-owned, why not go to a Black-owned coffee shop in a, another part of the city? If you're used to shopping in certain stores, why not go into other stores in other parts of the city? If you're used to um, worshiping with uh, in a monolithic type of community, why not uh, go and worship somewhere else? And so it to me... Uh, remaining out of the bubble is about adopting intentional lifestyle practices that force you to live outside of the bubble in a rhythmic way.
0: Yeah, I dig in it. It reminds me too of um, this idea within psychology. You know, we all have a whole bunch of different biases. And one of the kind of biases that people have is called proximity bias. And basically that's like, um, you know, you look around your community and if it's not happening there, then you assume it doesn't happen anywhere. And so you'll see this a lot with, you know, we were talking about uh, racism type stuff. We have a group of like a community of all white people and they'd be like, racism, that's not a thing anymore. I don't see that happening. So it must not happen anywhere. And so that's like a major uh, issue as well. And so I think that when I think about coming out of the bubble as well, I think about breaking that proximity bias and actually trying to put yourself into situations like you're saying, where things are different. Um, and I think especially too, it's it's important to realize that especially, um, at least here in, in America and I, probably in other places as well, there's like this built-in assumption that uh, white dudes tend to have. That's like, uh, my experience is the normal experience and everybody else's experience is not. <laughs> <laughs> and like we need to really also break out of that thought process as well and so um i loved your 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 chapter about uh, proximity and getting out of the bubble
2: yeah uh man that is powerful uh proximity bias uh reminds me of also uh, the confirmation bias that we also tend to pick and consume content based upon um like our, our um, the way that we see the, the world, our, our worldview, uh, what speaks to how we are wired. And so, you know, I've, I've oftentimes talked about Jesus's, you know, command for us to love God with everything and our neighbor as ourselves. But when we really talk about who the neighbor is, Um, We can't fully love the neighbor unless we love also the neighborhood that the neighbor emerges from, right? And we can't uh, fully love neighbor unless we love neighbor and neighborhood and also be concerned with the issues that the neighborhood faces that the neighbor emerges from. And it's a totally different perspective because sometimes we say these things or we quote Jesus but we are not talking about the whole person right um i think proximity is getting close to the whole person it's immersing yourself in the world of someone who is not like you sharing the love of god with that person and if you're only loving people who are like you then that is that becomes a faulty metric system of how you are actually measuring the love that you're displaying to to others because anybody can love someone like them but it takes real courage and sacrifice like jesus to love people for like not like you and when jesus is talking about love your neighbor that's what he's suggesting that we do
0: yeah absolutely i love that uh man i shoot i had a follow-up for you on that and i lost my train of thought way to go josh failure i should get marty you just gotta fire me now bro um (laughs) no man there's no way there's no way (laughs) yeah but man that's a bummer all right well i guess then but still so still tying into that um part of doing this this justice work and breaking you know breaking out of the bubble um is being brave enough to do some unlearning and you wrote a chapter about that in your book about things that we have to unlearn um and so for starters i just wanted to see from you what are some things that you personally had to unlearn uh in your journey thus far
2: yeah um well firstly that chapter was uh that chapter and the next chapter that follows that was probably two of the hardest chapters um, in that these chapters have like racial undertones. Um, I started the chapter off talking about my daughter who is uh, looking for a movie and uh, starts to stumble across these hashtags called not my Ariel, right? Um, there was this uh brown girl that was cast for the lead role of uh the little mermaid and uh you know uh, a lot of protesters started protesting uh with this hashtag saying that ariel should be white um there's no need for a black ariel i mean all these like that's not my ariel Thus, the hashtag and i i really had to have an intentional conversation with my daughter about uh race dynamics. And uh, you know, even last summer, I had to have a lot of conversations with my then nine-year-old son about race 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 dynamics because he was asking, Why are tanks on the television following George Floyd, etc.? And um, I started to discover that kids who are black and brown have to have adult conversations about racial identity at earlier ages than uh, some of our white peers. Um, And that's hard because not only as a parent, am I trying to communicate this message of them being worthy and having enough because God created them, but I'm also having to deal with these real personal things that I go through on a day-to-day basis. I mean, for Christ's sakes, man, I'm a PhD student and I still walk in rooms where people look at me and my hair and uh, think that I don't belong. Um, And I have to unlearn, uh, you know, uh, imposter syndrome, uh, you know, with really going through my own thoughts about, I I belong here, right? Uh, There are times when I have to unlearn to understand that uh, this is a, we live in a world or I exist in a world that is sometimes perceived with a predominantly white aesthetic. And that there are uh, narratives uh, from people who are also white, who are not prejudiced, uh, who have, my best interest I mean talking to you guys have has also been a a breath of fresh air and and so I've also had to learn discernment but also um I would say lastly man one of the things that I've had to do is learn how to parent differently Uh, I think this this particular chapter is trying to get people to understand how they were fashioned you know where who shaped your ideas where did those ideas come from you know who were, who was influential in your own life? You know, why do you believe these things? Have you ever done research to understand or even unpacked your own um, development to understand if those things are true or not? And for me, I've had to unlearn some things that I experienced growing up. So I didn't transfer those things to my children. And I'm using that as a metaphor. Uh, for readers who haven't done that real internal work so they don't transfer the things that they've learned in a racialized society to other members of society who may be damaged
0: yeah man that 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 chapter was really good and it for me like i remember my in regards to um Conversations around racism. My biggest moment of unlearning, and I've I've shared this story on the podcast before, uh, was when my buddy Keith invited me to um, a Zoom conversation. Uh, but my job was just to like go there and be quiet. <laughs> and basically, he brought together a panel of uh, five black pastors, ranging um, ranging in age. Uh, from like super young like early 20s, all the way up through um, their 70s uh, to come together and just uh, process everything that was going on. You know, this was around uh, the time of of George Floyd. This was around the time of, um, oh my goodness, why do I always forget name? Who was the the gentleman that was murdered, gun down in the street when he was running? Um, Ahmad Arbery, yeah, Ahmad Arbery. Yeah, sorry about that. Ahmad, right after the, the Ahmad Arbery murder, um, it was the very next day he invited me to this conversation. And then again, all, my only job was to sit there and be quiet, and he invited a bunch of other people as well. And then this panel just discussed and processed things out loud in the raw, non premeditated, there was no you know, um, outline or anything like that and that watching that conversation, like, like did something inside of me, um, that just like, so things finally started to click and I was like, oh my goodness. Um, so that for me, that was like a huge moment that started my, really started my journey of unlearning, um, a whole bunch of things. And so I, I'm really appreciative for that, that chapter in your book, Terrence.
2: Yeah, I appreciate that, man. Uh, One of the practices that I have too, I have a lot of friends from um, different cultures. Uh, I have a lot of white male friends that um, I am able to be vulnerable with, but also have like really intentional conversations about ideology, you know, framework, how, uh, you know, persons think, why is it this way? And you know that has been really a breath of fresh air for me as a person of color, because I get a chance to understand uh, the origins of some of the things that we see play out in larger society. But it also helps to build allyships uh, with with brothers and um, and friends who are you know standing in solidarity with some of the issues that uh, plagues or uh, traumatizes the community that I emerge from. And so um, I think, you know, not only caring for myself, but also having those honest dialogues like you were a part of, but also being very intentional about coming together with um, uh, white brothers and sisters has also been a huge um, part of my uh I guess uh stability uh throughout his journey
1: thanks 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 for sharing that terrence and i think as josh was sharing his unlearning i think the thing that i had to unlearn the most um was that it's not my job to lead any any part of that um and i remember it might have been jamar uh, it might have been keith uh the same gentleman that josh was talking about i can't remember exactly but I asked how we could, how I could become a part and uh, really sort of, you know, uh, join that movement. And he said, the first thing I'd tell you is get involved, but don't lead anything. Don't try to lead anything. Um, just, you know, let us lead and, you know, just be a part. And then um, a week later, I went to um, a kneel for nine for for George Floyd in my local community of Kenosha, um, you know, only a few weeks before um before, before what happened to Mr. Blake uh, up here, um, uh, and, and I saw my pastor doing that, uh, he's the pastor of the largest church in Kenosha, and yet um, he didn't get on the stage, he didn't kick things off with a, like an icebreaker or something, he didn't pray at the end, he just was there apart. And um, that really that example of uh, after hearing that and then seeing that example really set me on a path of saying like, I just I just want to be a part and I don't need to lead anything. And that was a tough thing to unlearn because I think um, not not because of my skin color, but just my natural tendency is to um, try to lead or try to be a part of the leadership or try to like jump in and help with the organization or that kind of like I just I, I love that. Um, And it's kind of a lot like I have uh, the spiritual gift of leadership is pretty pretty high for me. Um, So to want to be a part of something that's that's a big deal and that has needed to have been really driven um, but not lead took a lot of unlearning and a lot of um, processing in my own mind just to be a part of that. And um, I think a big portion of what helped me with that was um, really a, a strong spiritual transformation as well and I, you talked a little bit about that inner spiritual transfer transformation playing uh, a role in our pursuit of justice so could you could you talk about that just a little bit
2: yeah i mean i think uh the the deeper or the more understanding that we have of uh the person of jesus and what he represents Uh, for humanity and also in our lives should drive us deeper into wanting to be proximate and practice presence among community but also have a heart of compassion and empathy towards those who are not dealing or suffering with uh, the things that we may be suffering with and i think that takes a lot of inner spiritual work um because i mean there are a lot of influences in our lives, from the day that we are born, uh, speaking to who we are in this world, how we are to carry ourselves or conduct ourselves, you know, whether it's uh, historical influences or the way that you know our guardians or parents conducted themselves, the communities that have shaped us, and it takes a lot of unlearning, uh, and a huge part of that unlearning has to do with spiritual surrender, right? Um, that we avail ourselves to let god really do the work in our hearts um, so we can let go of things that have that could potentially uh, continue to be harmful um and i talk a lot about spiritual poverty um because it's this it helps us to understand that we're all poor in some way um it helps us to connect to what hearing now and talks about the fabric of human suffering um, that once we have this understanding that we're a part of that and our faith gives us hope, uh, in the midst of that, I think we, we are able to then, uh, humble ourselves to, to release and surrender certain things. Um, that's been my process. What, what about you? Hmm.
0: Yeah, that, um, the internal transformation thing, the, the inner spiritual transformation has been huge. And I know, um, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I chuckled in your book, you have a line about, basically, I was just trying to find it, but I couldn't. Um, you said something along the lines of like, we need to stop uh, measuring our like spirituality based off how many times we go to church or something like that, like how often we're in church on Sunday. Um, and I've just found that to be so true. Um, and I mean, even just you know experientially in my own life, last time we talked, Terrence, I was uh, um, working full time in vocational ministry. Um, I was a high school and young adult pastor in a church. Now I'm the taproom general manager of a local brewery here in Maryland. Uh, so that's been kind of a different thing. But the the what's crazy enough is what led me to where I am at today. Because um, I I like to say that um, I, I I followed Jesus out of the church was kind of my experience. And I know that's not everyone's experience, but that that was mine. Um, was inner Spiritual transformation. I started seeing a spiritual director. And then I started uh to come to to know God in a, a whole new way. Um, I started to to see that there's a different level of knowing than just information, just stuff in our head. And I started moving things from my head into my heart and gaining an experiential knowledge of God um and started focusing more, uh, less on what I believe and more about my faith. Um because I think belief and faith are different, uh, and that that inner spiritual transformation um, has been really crazy. Uh, hopefully, making me more and more Christ-like every day. I don't know. Uh, I guess you could ask my wife how that's going, um, or those who are around me. But the that inner transformational work has been key um, because, like, just the the prayer is like, God, give me the eyes to see people the way that you do. And the more you hang out with this guy, Jesus, and the more you allow Jesus to change your heart, those things start to become a reality. And then once those things become a reality and you're walking down the street, um, I mean, to go to your book, I See You, right? You really do start to see, uh, you know, things that you were completely blind to before. So I think it's mm-hmm. insanely important as well. And it's been crazy for myself.
1: Yeah, and I, I think... The if, Terrence, you talked about the historical Jesus earlier as like your rethinking faith moment. And I think for me, um, when it comes to pursuit of justice, really focusing in on the historical Jesus and not and not just the historical Jesus of like, you know, what did what did Jesus really do or what like what time did he really live in, but more like what did Jesus himself really look like? <laughs> and like, you know, what what kind of things. Was Jesus really concerned about? And I I think we get really pent up and focused on things that we think Jesus would have been concerned about. I mean, I think you know, just given twenty twenty, I think <clears throat> people think that Jesus really would be concerned about politics, and he'd really be concerned about you know Trump of Trump versus Hillary or Trump versus Biden or you know you know a, a wall or not a wall. But I, I think Jesus would be way more concerned with uh Dimitri who you were talking about earlier then he'd be concerned about any of that stuff 150 times over and over and over again he would choose Dimitri over the other things and um I think that um I mean even just uh, just to be honest after reading I see you and uh, interviewing you and talking with you you know over a year and a half ago um I pay a much closer and deeper attention to to those that are experiencing homelessness um and I pay a deeper and closer attention to those who are without and then reading this book. And, you know, living in living in Kenosha, uh, or living so close to Kenosha, attending church in Kenosha, um, and experiencing those things, not just on the news, like you, you you were talking to your son about seeing tanks on the news and stuff. And well, we didn't see tanks. But I mean, they were right down the street from my house. I mean, within a 15 minute drive, all this stuff was happening The the kid that um, that shot those people, um, the white kid, the younger kid. He's from the town I live in, and so I mean, like that was it. It was no longer on the screen, but it was right in our backyard, and um, I, it, it it made me realize paying closer attention to what the historical Jesus really would have cared about was the people that were out there rioting. He cared about their hearts, and he cared about those individuals. He didn't care about the buildings. I mean, being destroyed like the actual buildings themselves. He cared about the people who it was affecting, and I think to make that shift and that spiritual shift of understanding how to love people where they're at and what they're going through, it's it's been deeper and deeper. And it's man, like it's it's made me like I'm a huge like this is not a sidebar. I promise, (laughs) I'm a huge coffee fan, like a huge coffee snob, like be above and beyond like anything that like there's nothing more important to me when it comes to like what's on earth (laughs) except for me and my family and um when all this was happening the the coffee black people really started blowing up in memphis and like these are like their goal is to only sell african coffee and to i mean they they talk about how coffee has been gentrified and it's been still was stolen from black people and turned into this white community. Um, and it's been continuing that way, but the people of coffee black, I mean, they just, they want to go right after that. And it's, it's, it's just a small black business owner and like, just kind of like you blew up. I mean, it became huge, um, right around this time. They have a shirt that says love black people. Like you love black coffee. Um, and it's just like, you know, I, so like, that was like an opportunity, like, Hey man, like I can get, I can get my hands right in this game and support a black coffee business owner um instead of supporting a different one um and like you know then I started like well what are what are some other black coffee owners you know like business owners and so like I think like this spiritual transformation turned into this like you know this is the world that I live in and this is the things that are important to me and like this is important to them also and I want to partner with them not just because I like coffee but because I like coffee and this is really important to this person uh as well um and you know, I want to see them thrive. I want to see these people. And I, and to be honest, I think that's the historical Jesus is seeing people in what matters to them and helping them and, and pushing for them to thrive in that community of, or whatever they do. So, I mean, like that's, that's been my transformation, I think. Um, so thanks for, you know, a year and a half ago spurring me on to notice homelessness, but then, um, after reading I See You, it's, you know, realizing that's huge, but there's, it, there's a bigger story. Um, it's not just that, it, there's so much more to be looking at. So thank you.
2: Yeah, no, no problem, man. I, I think that was both of y'all is is beautifully said. Um, and yeah, when I do talk about the historical Jesus, I am not just talking about like, you know, chronology, I'm talking about how would Jesus have functioned, you know, where we where are the places he would have visited, who are the weary people that he would have been moved with compassion for.
1: Yeah, um, he would have been um, under the he would have been under the bridges where yes, those people were in Seattle yes, and downtown. He yes. wouldn't have been at the at the He in, would have been the kneeling
2: for nine minutes. He yeah, would have been right. kneeling for nine minutes yeah. <laughs> alongside your pastor, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and I, th- I think what we're all talking about is this idea of like, even when Josh was talking about, he moved, he followed Jesus out of the church into you are saying you're at a bu- brewery. Jesus cares just as much about that b- brewery and people who frequent that brewery uh, than those persons who were sitting in the pews on Sunday who are not extending any love to their neighbor, right? <laughs> you know, and Jesus is about the whole community, is what I'm hearing from all of what we're saying. And it is my hope that we continue to follow um, in the footsteps of Jesus in that way and not allow the narrative of Jesus to be hijacked and Jesus to be used as a weapon but be used as someone who brings people together and is a, as a liberator of those who have been oppressed.
0: Yeah, dude, absolutely. And I, I love what you, you said there too about Jesus caring about the people at the, at the brewery. And I don't, I don't think I shared this during the podcast, but I had, um, I was participating in like a spiritual exercise, um, like a guided prayer. And, um, it was right around the time when I was about to make this transition, um, And I was having a really hard time because I was like, you know, what are people going to think about me? You know, what are they going to say? I was a pastor and I'm going to go be a bartender, you know, or whatever. And uh, when we were doing this thing um, and I was praying and they talked about like, how, um, like, how do you see Jesus interacting with you um, in your life now or something like that? How do you see Jesus involved today and and write about that? Um, And instantly I just started writing about like the last supper and in my mind, it was like, I connected the last supper and then, uh, the bar. And, uh, so like, it, it was just crazy. Cause I, I mean, I had vision is a strong word, but basically I just, I had this vision and I wrote down about Jesus hanging out and lounging on the bar, you know, at the bar uh, with everybody and smiling and then ordering everybody just, you know, one more round before the bar closed at the end of the night. Um, and like, that was really powerful for me. And that, you know, that, that was, uh, yeah, that, that was crazy. And so finding, I've been seeing and finding the face of Jesus in the community at that bar in ways that I not, and this isn't talking bad about the church, but in ways that I never had access to in the church world, you know, it's just different, but yeah. Yeah. Well, Terrence,
1: this has been really great having you join us again it's um you're 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 still like one of my favorite guests we've ever had on the podcast like one of my favorite people to follow and just be a part of what you're doing and um it's uh it's like you know i'm like proud of the fact that like i got to talk to you before it all like before it blew up and then as i'm watching it on instagram and like and on social media and paying attention to you it's like man like i Like, I kind of like a little bit, I know him just a little bit, (laughs) like that. So like, man, like you've, uh, Jesus has really been, I I know I can say this, like Jesus has really been honored by the work that you have been doing. Um, I I truly believe that Jesus is saying, well done my good and faithful servant as he's, as he's watched the people you've put in place to lead. And as he's, um, seen how you have uh, made this not about yourself, but about, community that you love and that you serve um so thank you so much just um any do you have any thoughts uh before you before you have to go just to wrap us up
2: thanks for always giving me an opportunity to you know be here with you all i consider you all brothers uh hopefully i'll get a chance to meet you all one day in person yes i know you you're uh moving to vermont Uh, congratulations on that but I I definitely do have that uh, in my heart to meet you all one day in person and also man I am I am writing a third book oh um with my agent it's about racism and the church and so please uh keep that in your prayers
0: Absolutely. absolutely and then we'll have to have you back on so you can share about that too yeah Good deal. Well, is there yes, any sir. place that people can find
1: you, Terrence?
2: Yeah, if they want to follow the work that we do with our organization, that's at Love Beyond Walls. That's Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or you can visit lovebeyondwalls.org. Or if they want to uh, reach out to me personally, that's I'm Terrence Lester, I M T E R E N C E L E S D E R. Or they can visit my personal website at terrencelester.com.
1: Nice. I'm going to have to get myself some merch in the next couple of days because because (laughs) (laughs) I have to represent around here. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure.
2: Yeah, Well, love you, brothers, and I I appreciate you, man,
1: for
0: sure. Yeah, Yeah, man. Much love, Terrence. Thank you again for your time and for all that you're doing. Listeners, thanks for hanging out with us today. Be sure to pick up a copy of Terrence's latest book, When We Stand, and uh, keep following the work that he's doing because it's amazing, guys. Uh, Thanks again for listening, everybody. Peace and love, and go Capitals.
1: Go Blackhawks. Have a good day, guys.